0: Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Amen. Aren't you glad you're saved this morning? Amen. Thank Him like you mean it, that you're glad you're saved. Isn't it awesome to know, as I mentioned before, to be known as the family or included in the family of the Lord. Beautiful song of old, titled Amazing Grace. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I'm so thankful that I can see this morning. Hallelujah. And I'm thankful that those of us who have received Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior can see the light of Christ. And because we're thankful, we can see His truth and we have peace with Him uh, in this place and in our lives. Let me begin, ladies and gentlemen, by making note of what's happening in our society and in our world uh, today. So much happening in the Christian realm. And I say Christian realm because I want to don't want to use the word the religious world because... Because it kind of cheapens the whole idea of why we're here and what all of this uh, uh, circle of faith that we've established over the years through Christ uh, has come to mean. So the Christian world, so much is happening amongst us. And I'm sure some of you are enlightened that some of our most predominant uh, leaders uh, uh, in the church, if you will, or in Christendom or those that represent us as a religious people have had big falls this past past 30 days or more. I don't know if you're light to that, and I certainly don't want to speak too much about it, but I want to speak a little deeper as to what I feel is happening and has happened to the church, and we need to be careful with because of what are happening in our midst. You've heard how predominant, like I said, very popular preachers and religious representatives today. Uh, sins have been uncovered, and accusations are being made, and there's a big battle right now Going on in the Christian realm, so many people are murmuring about what's happening and certainly murmuring about these individuals who are caught in this situation, whether it be true or not. I am not the judge of them, neither was I there to witness what they have done or the allegations of what they had done. But nevertheless, uh, there's something deeply, deeply spiritual happening amongst us. I believe that because we're focusing on the individuals that have committed these mistakes in their lives, we are missing what could tragically be the bigger picture. While these battles are going on, the eyes of the world, the unbelieving and both believing world, are upon the church. Not upon them. Yes, upon them because they have brought them up and put them up on a a pedestal. But for a moment only, but the real problem comes because uh, comes when we understand that the world around us is not looking so much at one individual, but what they represent, and that is the church and Christ. We have testimonies of men and women that have violated their commitment as representatives of Christ and who takes the blame for it. Yes, they do for a moment, but Christ takes the blame for that. We, the believers, take the blame for that. Now while these people are using every resource they have to defend themselves and their ministries and their families. And rightfully so. Again, not knowing whether it's true or not. But they'll spend the next years trying to reestablish themselves and bringing themselves back to a clean sleigh, if you will, amongst the world. It's After all, it's that church. It's a world where they make their livelihood, their finances, and their support system. So they're going to fight hard to try to prove themselves innocent. But there is a greater damage that has been done that will never be repaired. And that is the hearts of the people that have visualized and seen what has happened in their lives. Whether you believe you are included in this whole mishap or not, well, it's not us. Uh, It's happened upstate somewhere. It's happened out of state somewhere. We are all included in what has happened. Every single one of us. Your faith in Christ has been included. Me as a pastor standing behind the pulpit has been included in what has happened in their mishap. Every pastor in the valley and every pastor that fills a pulpit is included in this tragedy. We're all going to suffer for it. How is that, Pastor? We weren't there. We didn't see that. We didn't tell them to. We didn't participate. Oh, but you participate in what they represent. And that is the church in Christ. Jesus always warned us to always be careful with our testimonies. Jesus always warned us to watch ourselves how we committed ourselves to live our lives in Him before others because there was a greater repercussion to our mistakes in life. It was not only going to include that person that violated his trust in God, but it was going to hurt everyone who at one time or had never had faith in Christ. Jesus always had problems with that. Some people may say, well, I don't care. Uh, It's not up to me. I'm looking out for number one. Oh, but you should care. I believe that if we cared what others thought and how others would believe because of us, we would care how we walk our lives in front of people. Because you are a representative, you are a testimony, you are a witness to other people. You are a leader to others, whether you admit it, accept it or not. These people may have said, one of them said, well, all I have to do is if I did commit this ugly thing that they say I did, I can just stand under the blood and, and there is enough blood to forgive me of my sins. And it's very true. The vilest murderer, the wickedest person in this world, if he repents in his heart and comes before the Lord, there is forgiveness. We call that sometimes the unfairness of Christ because sometimes we feel that people do deserve hell in our anger because of the violation, depending how tragic and evil it was. But it was verbalized, hey, listen, if I made a mistake, I mean, I could stand up here at any time as some pastors have in the past, having caught doing something that was not right and it violated the trust of the church, stand up here and say, he who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. Which one of you is going to cast a stone? None. Because we all fail. Amen? But how easy is it for me to escape from that kind of judgment? How easy? Well, if you haven't done anything wrong, then accuse me. Well, you're not going to accuse them rightfully because you know you've messed up yourself. And we use that as a cop-out sometimes, and it's not fair in the eyes of the church. And people get upset over that because they say, how easy you can escape from doing something most most vile that I have never done. Yeah, I've made mistakes, but I've never done that. For you to stand up there as a representative of Christ and say, well, listen, if you haven't messed up, then condemn me. If not, let's get back to the Word. That tragedy, isn't it? But it happens. Somebody needs to remind these people, and somebody has come to remind us today that the Lord has a problem with us being examples and stumbling blocks to others. Matthew 8 18 and 2. He called a little child and had him stand amongst them, and he said, Tell, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes this little child like this in my name welcomes me. Verse 6. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because these things that cause people to sin, such things must come. That is, there's things in this world, ladies and gentlemen, that will come to disappoint you. Uh, Things happen in our lives that come to discourage us at times. And and Jesus says that understanding, listen, there's going to go stuff. There's going to be stuff in your life that sometimes come to kind of push you back and feel you, uh, make you feel a little depressed and unwilling to pray or unwanting to do this or the other. But when he talks about being a stumbling block of people, he says this. He says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come. But woe to the men through whom they come. There's so much to preach on this, ladies and gentlemen. I could change this sermon right now because of what the Lord has laid in my heart. And teach us parents some things. Maybe I'll just go in in just a little bit because I love you. As parents... You know, when we stand up here and we dedicate our babies, I say to them, this young parents that are dedicating their baby, I said, right now that baby is like clay in your hands. I repeat that every time. It's as soft as clay in your hands. You can form it, mold it any way you want. It will learn how to pray as you pray. It will learn how to read God's word as you read God's word. It will learn how to worship as you worship. It will learn how to. To come to church like you come to church. Anyway, pastor, move on from that. But we, we gloss over those important words many times. But the fact of the matter is that, ladies and gentlemen, not coming to church regularly and teaching your children to love the Lord and to pray and to see God, it's a sin. You're a stumbling block. Can we expect anything from our children when you're gone into eternity? You know that there is a river of tears in my office after all these years of ministry of how many parents I have counseled and had to embrace because of their weeping and saying, my son won't come home, my son's on drugs, my daughter is doing this, my daughter is doing that, my children are rebellious and this and the other. And I'm thinking to myself, when was the last time I saw you in church? I know it this, you're not going to applaud. I know you're not. But it's a fact of the matter. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. See, listen. In their lives, there's going to be things that happen. In our lives, things are going to happen to discourage us. But make sure that you are not a stumbling block to others. And I say all of this in reference to what everything is going on in our world today. There are thousands of people who are turning away from God because of what they did. And this is not the first one we've had over the years. I mean, I'm 65 years old. I have seen a few great popular ministers, and some of you have as well, fall Before the eyes of the world. And because we have heard and we've seen how many people who used to believe, believe no longer because the man they trusted on that pulpit, sinned or made a mistake, transgressed against the church somehow and violated their trust that now, but the one to blame in this whole situation is not the actual sinner that made the mistake. They blame God and they walk away. That is when Jesus comes in. Oh, I love talking to you. I love, man. I, I, I wanted to speak to you since last year. <laughs> That's when Jesus comes in. This is when parents need to pay attention. Well, uh, am I being a stumbling block to my children? Am I teaching them how to pray for their meal? Am I teaching them how to be faithful to church? Am I teaching them good stewardship? Am I teaching them how to pray? Am I teaching them how to read the word of God? We may think of it as, I just don't have time, but Jesus is calling it a sin. Okay, enough. I'll continue next week on this subject. Point I'm making is that we cannot overlook the words of Christ when it comes to stumbling blocks. One can easily focus on your personal reparation during a fall. But who's going to fix the fallen? Amen? One can spend an eternity fixing their own lives, their own reparations, But who's going to fix the fallen outside of that? Who's going to fix the ones who have fallen by the wayside because we were careless in our walk with God? Who's going to encourage the young person who loved the pastor, who loved the Sunday school teacher, who loved his father or his mother, but all of a sudden they transgressed against the faith they initially wanted them to start believing in? Who's going to fix them? Sometimes they fall so far that they're irreparable. And that's when Jesus comes in. That's when the Lord said, oh, man, think about that. If you have been a stumbling block, you better think of finding a big rock and putting it around your neck and getting away from me as far as you can, as far as low is low in the sea. Because that's how I treasure souls. How I expect you to stay saved once you're saved. And to be an example of salvation to the world. We were greatly warned about days like this. 1 Timothy 4 and 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. But then we are admonished in Second Thessalonians chapter two verse thirteen. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, here is the admonishment. Here is the encouragement. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold on to the teaching we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Ladies and gentlemen, what I've come to tell you this morning as we begin this year, as we begin to wait for the new things that God is going to be doing in our lives, as we begin to wait for the blessings that God has in store for us in 2024, we must make sure we stay saved. Because I've come with a clarion warning. worse things are coming this year. Not for the church in the sense that we're going to suffer, but we're going to see This world daily is becoming more vile and the respect for Christ is becoming less and less. The church is going to be more tribulated. It's going to be more challenged. How? You see it already. The news are filled with this kind of situation. And the focus, yes, for the moment is on the individual. But in a little while, the gossip becomes, and those are Christians. And that's what Christ represents. It's time to be saved, ladies and gentlemen. Philippians chapter two tells us. And I believe we're living in this time. Philippians two and twelve. Therefore, my dear brethren or friends, you have always, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What that simple, what that implicates to us, ladies and gentlemen, is that. Is salvation is that precious, priceless pearl that we are spoken to in Scripture. It is that hidden treasure that we find. It is the riches for our souls. We are to protect that, to embrace that, to guard it, to make sure that nothing on the inside or certainly nothing on the outside comes to affect us in the way we walk and our commitment to walk with Christ at any time. It's time to say saved. To work out our salvation with fear is to work out what God has already planned out for us to do. God has worked out our salvation. He has given us benefits of salvation. He has given us benefits in saving us that you and I should exercise so that we might be able to continue forward, progressing, growing and going from glory to glory as we walk. In the Lord. Question of the hour. Are you saved this morning? Why don't you ask your neighbor, are you saved this morning? Some of you aren't asking. Ask your neighbor, are you saved this morning? (laughs) Don't be embarrassed to ask. Did you know that I believe, really, that that question should be asked frequently amongst believers? I was telling the church this morning, I said, you know, we always ask each other, how you doing? This morning I was asked 30, 40 times, hey, Pastor, how how you feeling? And, well, I'm feeling this way and and a great time for me to plug in. I just got back from Houston a few days ago where I got all green marks, 100% doing great in my body. My blood is great. My liver is great. My kidneys are working well. And no red marks on my blood. I'm excited. I'm blessed. I'm ready for 2024. 2024 better be ready for me. I'm feeling great. Amen. Amen. He told me I had to lose weight. I, <laughs> I can all be good. It can't all be good. But he told me I was doing great. He goes, Man, you look great. I said, I know. I feel great. I'm saved. Hmm. So I'm excited. But we always ask each other, how are you doing? Every time we see each other, how are you doing, brother? God bless you. How are you doing? And the answer is always either. I mean, we're honest with our health. Well, you know, I have been feeling this pain here. My back's been hurting a lot. And what do we do? We pray for them, right? We pray for them. We have a custom here. You better pick it up. Some of us still haven't, but we need to. That when you say, I'll pray for you, don't say you're going to pray for them. Pray for him right there. If there's a good chance you go get busy and you won't pray about anything. It happens to me. Yeah, I'll be praying for you. And I go home like last week, like, what happened? I forgot to pray about him. It happens. So the best policy is to say, how you doing? I feel okay. My leg's been hurting. Well, let's pray. Father, I just pray healing over my Right there. So we ask ourselves about our well-being. Why is it so wrong to ask ourselves, how you doing? How you doing in salvation? Why? Because our response will be like, well, what business is it of yours? Are you judging me? Right? We get so offended. Anytime you talk spiritual things, how you doing, brother? How you doing with Christ? Why? Did you see something? Did somebody tell you something? That's so why I don't like this church. Everybody judges you. But we always ask each other. And we're offended. A lot of people are offended when they're asked, how are you doing? Why can't we be honest? And you know what, man? I haven't been praying that much, pastor. Really? Yeah, I've been worried about stuff, and my prayer life is weakened. Well, let's pray about that. Father, give him an urgency to pray. And just like we pray over that liver, over, over that kidney, over that flu, over that pain, but let's pray over salvation. That's the most important thing of the business of life is for us to stay saved, ladies and gentlemen. Salvation means something. Oh, but people, they get so hurt. You know, sometimes we consider good friends those friends that take you out to dinner or remember you on Christmas. I'm still waiting for some of your gifts. (laughs) Or someone who remembers you during your birthday or makes parties in your honor. Those are our friends. But you know what a real friend to me is? Someone who cares if you're saved or not. Someone who cares if you're on your way to heaven or not. Someone who looks you over, not to see if you walk with a new limp, but to see if you're walking in righteousness. Come on, church, come on. Hallelujah. Someone who cares if you're praying. Are you praying? And someone that's on I haven't been praying that well. Let's pray that God give you the urgency to pray. I haven't been bending my knee. I, I, I haven't been fasting. I haven't been witnessing. I don't, I'm going through stuff. Let's pray so that your salvation can stay on fire and on vibrant and vivacious and alive and well. Some people get offended. Why are you judging me? We need to stay saved. We're going to see stuff happen that are going to shake your salvation. And like many people today, because of what just happened this past month, a lot of people are turning away from the church. (laughs) And those are the big guys. I bet you everybody's the same. That's why I don't go to church, man. They're all hypocrites. They're all liars in church. Every one of them is a liar, all hypocrites. That's why I don't go there and mess with the Jesus thing. They're all fakes. Everybody does what those guys did. Jesus has a problem with that. He will blame those who say those things and deny Christ, as we'll learn in just a second. But he's going to speak about by whom that stumbling came from. So you just can't stand, ladies and gentlemen, under the blood and say, well, so I'm an adulterer. So I stand under the blood and I'm clean. There. Done. Can we get to preaching now? No, my friend. It doesn't work that easy. There's a responsibility that we have to the people and more so to him. And since he loves both of us, he loves you and he loves me, he's gonna deal with both of us adequately. So I believe that what needs to happen during these days right now is for someone to make a public apology and try to escape from the judgment of the church and keep people from stumbling like a river the way they are today. Are you saved this morning? I believe that many people aren't saved for a number of reasons, but I believe that there's a good number of them that aren't saved because they don't know the benefits of salvation. Can I give you just a few in the next 15 minutes? I'll be quick. If you're saved, then you know what I'll be talking about this morning And if you're saved, maybe you've forgotten some of the benefits that you've received as you received Christ in your life. I want to remind you of those. And if you're not saved, I want to show you what you're missing by not being saved. When we were saved, ladies and gentlemen, every one of our sins were settled in Christ. That should be something to rejoice about. That means that all culpability, all guilt, and everything God could have had against us, He willingly, through His Son Christ, has forgiven. Colossians 1 and 13 says, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son, the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Now, there are some in this world that might say, what sin? I don't lie to people. I don't beat up on my wife. I don't cheat my friends. I'm not a gambler. I'm not a tale teller. But the Bible says that all of us are sinners. Every single one. Whether that's a truth that you want to accept or not, that is a matter of fact. The psalmist said this in Psalms 51 and 5. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. From the point get-go, anyone born of a woman into this world because of the sin of Adam, the lineage of humanity is tainted by the fall. Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Is Ecclesiastics 7 and 20, there is not one righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. In fact, if you might be, I doubt it, but if anyone here might be the one that says I've never sinned, the Bible calls you false and the truth is not in you. It calls you a liar. I told this testimony, and if I take off on telling you this testimony, it'll take all of my time. But quickly, I'll tell you that when I was a youth pastor many years ago, I took a trip with a whole bunch of young people to Waco to take them to a convention, a Assemblies of God convention. And the bus driver that chartered, that drove the chartered bus was a super nice guy. I mean, I still see him, such a sweetheart of a guy, an older gentleman. And since I was the pastor of the group, I I sat in front with him next to his chair when he was uh, driving. And I I took the opportunity to kind of begin to weasel my way in to tell him that, you know, what we did and what we do. And how about you? You have kids and on and on. And we started talking about the need of Christ. And from the point get go, he said, well, I'm glad you guys found religion. He separated himself automatically by gesture. I said, "Yeah, we know, but we all need Jesus." He goes, "Why?" Because if you, you don't know me, I've got six kids. Three of them are doctors, and three of them are attorneys. With my work as a bus driver, I put them all through university. My wife loves me dearly. My grandchildren adore me, and I love them. I work every day to suffice their every need. My daughters are 50 years old, and they still kiss me in the mouth like their daddy. Why do I need any kind of redemption? Hmm. I have to be honest with you. We drove 10 hours up. We stayed up there three days. We drove 10, 11 hours back. And he never gave in to Christ. I couldn't touch him. And at moments, I have to be honest, he was better than some of the Christians I knew. I'm going like, dude, I want to become like you. He said, why do I need a redeemer? Bad people need a redeemer. Oh, and that is such a tragic place to be. Because the Bible says that how no matter how good we are, every deed is like filthy rags before the Lord. Every single one of us is short of God's glory without Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if you claim you have no sin. 1 John 1.8 says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not within us. So we understand, ladies and gentlemen, that all of us in this house, when we got saved, we needed a Savior. Hallelujah. We needed to be saved. The Bible tells us that because of the sin of Adam since the beginning, all of us, the lineage of humanity, stands guilty before God. And the wages of sin, the Bible tells us in Romans 6 and 23, that the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18 and 20 tells us the soul who sins is the one who will die. So we can see that without Christ, ladies and gentlemen, you and I together, The only destiny that we had for sure was a Christless one in hell. That's what salvation should mean to you. That's the benefit of salvation. That should keep you saved. To know that without Christ, ladies and gentlemen, we have nothing, no mistake, no missing the mark, except an eternal, damned, lost place in hell. But we should be thankful that the Lord loved us so that he didn't turn his back on this broken humanity, that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come and pay for our sins so that you and I would not have to, so that you and I could live our lives with peace, joy, rest and true hope away from all the feelings of guilt and feelings of condemnation and blame, all the fear of accusation and judgment Liberation came when we found Jesus, and Jesus found us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, now God himself, looks at us as a righteous people. Aren't you thankful this morning? Aren't you thankful that you can pray and say, Father, I love you, Lord. And God can look at us through the filter of his son Christ and say, I love you back. I love you. I love you back. Secondly, the benefit of salvation is our adoption in him is finalized. We belong. We belong to God again. Well, then we always, doesn't everybody belong to God? No. No. But we can say he is our father. But did you know that they are children of the devil? Because they follow the teaching and the following of the unbelieving world. But we are children of God. The Bible tells us so. First John 1 and 10. He was in the world and through the world was made through Him. The world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the rights to become the children of God. First John 3 and 1 says... How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. How awesome a thought. When we think of salvation, do you ever think of yourself as a child of God? Because that is what you are. There's no mistake. You are royalty. You know, I gave the church this testimony this morning and I'm very thankful for my earthly father. My father passed on to be with the Lord in 1983. And so I got to be with him a good 20-some-odd years of my life. And he was a great man. Yeah, he was my friend, my father, my director, my counselor, my corrector, my encourager. Everything. Yeah, he was my provider. He supported me, encouraged me. He rebuked me. He did everything a good earthly father did. Uh, he loved me. I know he did. And he provided for me until it was time for me to go. He corrected me. He comforted me. He provided for me. And I continue to this day to find honor in the fact that he was my father. And I'm thankful for my earthly father, as you should too, and I'm sure you are. But when I think of God being my father, it kind of makes your chest come up a little bit. It kind of makes you feel a little different. At least it does me. To know that I have an earthly father, yes, and I'm so thankful for what God has given me on this earth. But to know that the Lord was willing to adopt me as his own. To think of myself as a child of God. There is no expression greater. There are no words that could express the joy that I feel, the honor that I feel to know that he calls me his very own. Now with everything my earthly father gave me and gave us, those are all wonderful and we have honor to God to give for that. But everything my father gave me was temporal in this world. But everything my father in heaven gives me today is eternal. Come on, church. Yeah. Yeah, you see, everything my father in heaven, you see, my father, earthly father, couldn't forgive me of my sins and cleanse my heart. He couldn't give me a promise he could fill by saying, I'm going to give you heaven. He couldn't wipe away the guilt of my many sins he didn't even know of many times. But my heavenly father has, and he can, because he is my father. Though earthly fathers can good, t- good, do good things, how much more can our heavenly Father do for us? Matthew seven and eleven says, "If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you gifts to those who ask him?" Now, by no means, ladies and gentlemen, if the Lord become so great in our lives that we should find that kind of honor because He's trying to degrade what our earthly fathers were. No, 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 that's not God's intent at all. His intent is not to diminish the importance of our earthly parents. They are wonderful. Thank God for good, godly parents. But he wants us to understand that anything, anything born in this world today can never give you what is born in the heart of God. And we should be especially honored. You see, our Heavenly Father can meet your every need according to His riches and glory. He can heal your every disease. He can give you peace in the midst of the storms. He can fill you with power to move challenging mountains before you. He will give you grace, peace, mercy all the days of your life. This is what God, your Father, can give and provide for you. Because we are sons of His. There are so many young people today running away from homes and leaving, people breaking up their homes at all, simply because they want to belong to a family. Maybe you feel this way this morning, but I want you to know that as you come to Christ, you will belong to the greatest family in the universe. And you'll have the greatest father incomparable to any other ever. Words cannot paint a picture of who he is. Hallelujah. Thirdly, we get kingdom authority when we're saved. Let me say this in layman's terms. Your words count. You ever been somewhere talking to people and they ignore what you say? Like, well, yeah, whatever. Anyway, let me talk to the important people. And you feel like invaluable. You, 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 you have no price over you. You, 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 seem, you feel cheap because I can't offer anything. It's not that way with God. When you are saved, your words count in this world and in heaven. God gives you kingdom authority when you are saved. Isaiah 54 and 16 see, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fans the cold into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. It is I who have created the destroyer to work havoc. No weapon forged against you will prevail. And you will. Who will? You will. Who will? Say I will. Who will? I will. He could have said and I will. No, but he said and you will. Refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is their vindication for me declares the Lord. What is the Lord saying as he says this? He said, I give you authority, the same authority that I have as I speak the word. So I give you that same word to speak to whatever it is in your life that is hindering you. I give you authority. Your words have weight now. The spirit realm listens to what you have to say. The devil listens to what you say. Situations and circumstances in your life... Listen to what you say. You have a license and a right to possess, to claim and possess the rights of God in our life. That's authority. And how I wish we as saved Christians would understand that truth. If we truly understood that truth, we would not be living the way we are. We would not be living restless lives. We would not be living lives filled with broken dreams and bitterness. We would not be living putting up with putting up whatever the devil throws our way with poverty and sickness, loneliness and bitterness, divisions and problems of every sort. If we believe that our words have authority in Christ, we would change all that because God said we could. We have the right to refute and rebuke poverty and loosen blessing. Did you know that? We have the right and the authority to refute sickness and loosen health. We have the right to refute divisions in our families and broken friendships and loosen peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you will speak the word. If you will speak it. You can look at circumstances in your life and speak against them. but we are more used to just saying, well... Ah, that's just my destiny. The Lord said no weapon forged against you will prosper and you will. This is what you can do. You can do that. You can put a voice to your faith and speak to that challenging mountain in front of you. The Lord said in John 15 and 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. You know that everything created in the beginning was created by words. Maybe you've never read the beginning of the Bible, but you'll find, and the Lord said. And the Lord said. And the Lord said. And there was. And the Lord said. And there was words and that very spirit powerful spirit of God the Lord has infiltrated us with upon salvation he's given us the authority to speak to those things that hinder us and move them out of the way if you're not saved today then I understand your powerlessness to change anything in your life but if you are saved let me ask you this question Why aren't you changing things in your life? Why aren't you changing things in your life? You have the authority. Next, we are certified heirs to God. We have ownership of everything that God has provided for us. Genesis 1 and 29, all the beginning at the beginning of the book. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, it will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. We see the first position of man when he was created. He had nothing. Other than being formed by God, he had nothing. And immediately upon the same breath that God breathed into his nostrils and made him a living being, God blessed him with everything. He gave him everything. He got him up. He said, you look around. You see what you have? All of this is yours. Every single thing. Gave him everything. For your benefit. You hungry? Eat it. You need something, get it. There was no lack, no need of anything. Man had been provided with everything. Now there is a lie that Christians believe. And that is that in this world, the devil owns everything. This is why we ask for nothing, because Satan owns everything in this world. He may be a great influencer in this world, I agree, but he's an owner of nothing. Come on, church. It's okay if you get a little violent. It's okay if you get a little angry because you've been believing this lie. He may be a great influencer in this world, but he only owns what you give him. He has nothing. Nothing. He owns absolutely nothing. The Lord has never relinquished a single grain of dirt to the devil. He said, This is yours. Never. We gave it away. You gave it away. Take that. Well, number. You own it. It's yours. Somehow, along our lives, salvation somehow got infiltrated by this lie that now we have to. Ask for permission from the enemy to get any kind of benefit from the world we live in. When all of this is ours. Everything. God never relinquished a single title deed to any devil in hell. Exodus 19 and 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey and fully keep my command, then out of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although all... The whole earth is mine. The Lord said, you will be my special treasure even if I own everything. I pick you to be the shiniest part of everything I own. Everything. But make no mistake. Everything you see belongs to me. Deuteronomy 10 and 14, to the Lord, your God belongs the heavens and the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it. Job 41 and 11, who has claim against me, says the Lord. You can almost sense his emotion. Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Who do I owe anything to? Who am I paying rent to? Who have I borrowed something in this world that I have to give him a monthly for? Who am I asking, calling, hey, listen, can I borrow your car? Hey, can I borrow a loan? Can I borrow this place to stay tonight? Who do I owe any rent to that I must pay? He says, everything under heaven belongs to me. Everything. Everything. He has relinquished nothing, no ownership of anything to the devil. So stop acting like the devil owns what is yours. And start walking in victory. This is why he gave you authority to speak things and to declare things over your life. To stand up. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. He didn't give anything away, but he did say to you, I give you every seed-bearing plant. I give you everything. We are heirs of the living God. And since the fall of man, the devil has come to fill the hearts of Christians and believers. And cause us to live impoverished lives and sad lives as short of being satisfied. Everyone, when you talk to a Christian, how are you doing? Well, we just hang in there. Why are you hanging there? I heard a man say one time, how are you doing, brother? Well, pretty good under the circumstances. What are you doing under the circumstances? What are you doing under the circumstances? Well, I'm just making it through the day. Why are you just making it through the day? Well, I'm just skidding through life. Why are you just skidding through life? We've made our Christianity like that reality show, Survivor. I never watched that show, but I have watched one of those things, too. And I think it's a thing about where they take people to this isolated place and they see how they can exist with no resources. Ain't that the truth? Survivor. And so I think there's all kinds of money that they can win if they stay there on an amount of days, but but we make our Christianity a survivor show. How you know? Well, we'll just try to survive, man, on seeds and plants. <laughs> Why? You're an heir of the king. You're the heir of the king. Stop begging. The pantry is yours. It belongs to you. Healing is yours. Provision is yours. Peace is yours. Joy is yours. Family is yours. Joy is yours. Everything is yours. The Lord never gave anything to anyone. Matthew 16 and 19, Jesus said with joy... I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible tells us he who withholds no good thing from those that love him. Nothing. So I ask you this morning, what do you need? And why don't you have it? What do you need and why have you not pursued it? Why have you not asked God, Lord... My children need to get saved. But we hide behind the facade. Well, everyone has their season. They'll come whenever they're ready. No, they won't. Can you risk that? You know how many children aren't coming home after Friday night tonight? Can you risk leaving things just at a roll of dice in life? It's time to move and claim what is ours, ladies and gentlemen. You think the devil is one day going to say, okay, listen, I know you're hurting bad. Here's a little something. He's not going to do that. He's on a mission to kill, steal, and destroy. Amen? But we overlook what he's to do or what he wants to do and what he's been doing. And we forget what Jesus said, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. How can he give us life to the fullest if he has given us nothing in this world for ourselves? Doesn't make any sense, does it? But he has given us everything so that he indeed can give us life to the fullest. And let me finish here this morning. The last thing I will mention to you. He gives us a celestial end or a destined to heaven finish. A celestial finality. That means that we will end up in heaven because of Salvation. If nothing else will encourage you to come to Christ, I pray that this last thing will. Everybody knows this passage. We should believe this passage. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is Jesus saying? If you will believe in my son, I will give you heaven. You know, there was once asked by a young man, he said, hey, will only Christians live forever? Will only Christians have eternal life? And the answer to that is absolutely no. Everyone has eternal life. Every single one of us. Every living soul that has ever walked upon the face of this earth since the beginning of time has eternal life. But the question should be, With only believers in Christ enjoy their eternity in heaven? And the answer to that is yes, my friend. Only them. Now, people reject that. People hate when when Christians say that. They do. They do. Uh, We see it argued on television by celebrities and all these people. How is it possible that only Christians? Always asking, will this kind of person make it to heaven according to you? Well, it's not according to me. I'm a nice guy. here. I wish everybody would go to heaven. But it's not up to me. Heaven isn't mine. The Bible says that he holds the key. So you'll have to take it up with him. Don't kill the messenger. I hate that, that you guys talk about Jesus being the only way. I didn't say that. I believe that, but I didn't say that. Talk to Jesus. Talk to the Word. Talk to the Father. He's the one that makes the rules. Well, only... Christians inherit heaven? Fact of the matter? Yeah. Not everyone will go to heaven. Even if the general consensus agrees that they should. Doesn't matter. Same verse. Chapter, chapter 3, verse 17, a verse over. John three seventeen says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I didn't say that. He did. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5. And this is evidence that God's judgment is right. As a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those who are being troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out of the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. You see, when you're saved, all of that changes. The Bible guarantees that if you are saved, then heaven is your destiny. We are heirs of heaven because of salvation. Now, why am I saying all these things this morning? Because, ladies and gentlemen, I will finish as I began. With everything that's happening around us, it's shaking the salvation of believers all over the world. There are churches at this point who are divided because of these individuals. Some people say, well, he's a man or they're uh, whatever. They have a right to commit sins. And the other one says, listen, no, they have a responsibility to God and to the church. And so now you see the devil had a bigger plan than just to bring someone to the limelight and try to embarrass them. The devil is smarter than that. It wasn't just about getting us to look at the tabloids and look at the news and watch memes on, on Instagram and watch Facebook, see what they're saying about this junk. There's a bigger plan than that. Don't be misled by looking at all this little news stuff that you see about the individuals. Look at what's happening in the church. Souls will be lost because of this. Who's going to answer for them? We will be challenged because of this. There will be more people that say, I don't believe in that junk that you guys get together for at Rock of Ages. I don't believe in that junk. Look what just happened over there. And you'll be challenging the people that you may have could have reached a week ago. You won't be able to reach that easy anymore because of the error of men. Jesus did nothing, but Jesus always takes the blame. Jesus did absolutely nothing to cause all this ruckus, but Jesus, the church will take the blame. And this is why this word of great warning from heaven comes to all of us. It's time to stay saved. Let nothing move you. This year is coming with challenges. The past three years have been a challenge to the church politically and spiritually. Get ready. This year is going to be good. And only the strong and those who remain will stand. Thus saith the Lord. Stand to your feet, please. It's not going to get any easier. I bring to you this morning the benefits of salvation. One, to those of you who are saved, maybe you've forgotten that all these things are packaged up in salvation in Christ. And you haven't been living your salvation to the fullest because you have forgotten the benefits I just mentioned to you. That you are an heir of God. That your voice has authority. That you can speak blessing into your family that you are called a child of God and you can walk around as the royalty of God, not in a proud and arrogant way, but in a humble, thankful way. Say, I am a child of the King. To know that there is no more condemnation for we can walk away free. We can walk freely in this world knowing that tomorrow comes, there is further no more condemnation to those that are in Christ. Maybe you've forgotten all these things. It's time to bring meaning again to salvation in our lives. So I, do, I, I say these things. I believe the Lord speaks to us this way to remind us. But also to speak to those of you who possibly are not saved and tell you what you're missing out on. By not being saved, then you are not a child of God. By not being saved, then you are not in the family of God. By not being saved and accepting the Son of God according to Scripture, you are not an heir of God. By not accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior according to Scripture. Not to me, but according to Scripture. You are not an inheritor of heaven when the day comes and eternity comes face to face with you. This message is important. And the Lord makes it important to make you recognize how important salvation is today. Trust me. There's going to be a tug of war. And the Bible said in the last days the devil is going to come trying to confuse and trying to pull out even the elect. You know who the elect are? You. You know who the elect are? Remember we read it. He has chosen you unto salvation. You have been elected to be saved. And the devil is going to come in great strength and force, confusion and lies and all these things to pull the elect out of the church, away from salvation. That's the big plan. Not the fact that you see some celebrity fall or because they went to some this or that or he committed some kind of whatever. It's not even about that. It'll, it'll pertain to them, yes, but it's a, the bigger picture. It's what's going to happen thousands of miles around them in the body of believers. Ladies and gentlemen, my plea to you today is this guard your salvation with trembling learn to pray commit to read God's word learn to share your testimony and testify to the loss they need it learn to commit to come to church and gather with the believers to worship corporately because that is the will of God Remember that you are an example to those that follow you. Your children are following you. Your friends, there are friends possibly that won't come to church because you hardly ever do. These things God has a big problem with. This is why he said in this world you're going to have disappointments. Oh, but oh, woe unto the man by whom they come. So let's not get in the way of everybody. Let's get in the way and bring them. Let them see the love of Christ in you. Let them see that it's worth living for Christ. Let them see that living for Jesus is the best choice you ever made. And that there is no regrets in the heart of God when he chose us. Can we look at our lives today and say, Lord, do you regret having elected me unto salvation? Have I embarrassed you as I walk before you as your supposed son? Have I embarrassed you, God? And what God, what will God answer? You're not an embarrassment to me. You have walked righteously and I see you. You are my son, my child. Or will he say, gosh, man, you're, I had a gentleman one time just a few years ago who came into our church, several years ago, came into our church and, and he had a problem in his life that I tried to deal with. But he felt he had a certain gift in his life that he could share. And he was with us for a while. This is many years ago. But he had certain talents he felt like he needed to share with other people in other churches. And he spoke to me in my office one day. He said, hey, Pastor, I'm going to go ahead and start going and start doing this. And I'm going to be sharing my gift with other churches. Can I tell them you sent me? And you know what I said? No. Don't you tell them you go to Rock of Ages. And I did that for you. I did that for me, and I did it more for the gospel. I'm wondering sometimes when Jesus looks at us, Lord, can I tell him that I'm your son? Will the Lord possibly say, no, 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 no. Don't tell him you're my son. Uh, uh-uh. Don't tell him you're my son. Because my son is nothing like you. Can I, can I tell him that? That I belong to the Christian community. No, 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 no. Tell them you just dropped by. I'm not going to endorse that ministry. I'm not going to endorse that testimony. Let's make God proud this year. Let's make him happy that we are his children. And let us be happy because we've received such great benefits from the Lord. All because we are saved.